Hello lovelies. Before we get started, if you are listening to this on the Monday it is released or early Tuesday morning, so that's October 18th and 19th of 2021, then I want to make sure you know all about the pre-order for my newest design, the Ready Topper. The Ready Topper is a lace overlay piece that is always ready for you and you're always ready to go when you wear it. The main body features an embroidered lace with kind of an abstract paisley floral design. It's a really, really unique pattern. The piece has finished ribbon edges and beautiful corset style loops with lace up sides. It's, mm, I'm proud of it. I'm not gonna lie, I'm proud of it. It comes in sizes extra small through 2X. The sizing is equivalent to my regular range of sizes two through 24. So an extra small is a two four, a small is a six eight, et cetera, et cetera. I'm placing the order with the factory Tuesday morning. So pretty much if you still see it listed on impactfashionnyc.com, you can still get it. The pre-order will close at some point Tuesday morning. Um, honestly, depending on when I like, get up and just take care of it. Um, and, and you know why you need to pre-order. Pre-order guarantees you get the size you need and allows you to shop stress-free without any launch day jitters. When it does come, quantities will be limited because my stock room isn't that big. Pre-orders are guaranteed to ship by November 8th and yeah, they'll, they'll just show up. Um, you can pre-order the Ready Topper and learn more by going to impactfashionnyc.com and I hope you enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzkowitz, and on today's show for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I talk with the CEO of Sharsheret. She shares what we need to know about our own risk for developing breast and ovarian cancers, what we can do about it, what the Holocaust has to do with cancer, and we discuss genetic testing for risk. Nobody wants to talk about cancer. I know people who won't even say the word. They'll call it the machla, the disease in Yiddish, and always in whispered tones. But there is power and knowledge, and this October for Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we are going to talk about the thing that nobody wants to talk about. Alana Silver is the CEO of Sharsheret, and I'll let her take it from here. As a little kid, I was very ambitious and kind of pushed myself ahead every step of the way to uh, skipping classes, skipping grades in early childhood years, um, and was very, very good, very good listener, teacher's pet, that type, um, and a little bit of a type A personality, and not very loud, kind of on the uh, more reserved side. But on the ball, like you knew where you were going and you needed to get I was totally thought I was more mature than I was, every step of the way. And I had clear directions and um, yeah, in that way, I was a very easy decision maker and was always looking at the next step and ready to take on more. That is awesome. Do you think that like people around you like that or did they find it annoying or were they like, who is this kid and why does she think she knows what she's doing already? Um, I, I think people liked it because you know, they didn't have to do so much work. There wasn't so much handholding. Um, I was a good listener, so it was good to have around. I know that parents who had me over it when I was visiting with the play dates, I wasn't too loud and they liked that. And, um, and you know, I, I think I came up as pretty smart so I could have a conversation, but I wasn't one of those kids that had to be the center of attention or make a lot of noise. 
Right. I totally hear that. So I got connected with you um, and I know you as the CEO of Sharsharet. Um, and I would love for you to tell me a little bit more and for our listeners to know a little bit more about um, what Sharsharet does, what it is, and how you got involved. So Sharsharet is the Hebrew word for chain, and it symbolizes the connections that we make uh, women with each other, women who are facing breast cancer, women who are at increased hereditary risk or women who are living with cancer with each other and with helpful resources. Um, and Sharsharet basically has two different arms. One arm is one-on-one -on -one support for women and their families. So that could be husbands and partners and moms and adult daughters of women going through breast or ovarian cancer. Um, and we have social workers and a genetic counselor on staff. And we're real, and we have a peer support network with 18,000 women. So through that part of Sharsharet, we're providing mental health counseling, we're providing emotional support and financial subsidies for non-medical services. We are not a medical organization. It's support and education. From the education piece, uh, Sharsharet really goes out and educates adults of all ages, starting on college campuses, educating women and men about their risk for cancer, specifically breast and ovarian and other cancers that are related to genetic mutations, which we'll talk about later, educating them about their risk and what they can do today to protect their health in the future. Because there are things that we can do if you have information so you can stay healthy for longer. So I, I have a million questions, but I'd love to know first, how did you get involved with, uh, with Sharsharet? How long have you been with the organization? So, you know, I don't want to age myself because I still think I'm that young person that we described at the beginning of the book. You are, you are, uh, you yeah. definitely but are. No one could see me, but I look really young. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I was actually, uh, at the time, this is going back about 19 years ago, I was a stay-at-home mom. I had four little kids and my friend called me and said, there's a woman, I live in Teaneck, New Jersey. And there's a woman starting an organization for women with breast cancer. And she's talking in the local synagogue. And I said, look, you know, I'm really busy. I have four little kids. I don't want to go out at night. And she said, no, you have to come with me. Our friends are getting involved. You have to go. So I went to the local synagogue and I heard the founder of Sharsharet. Her name is Rochelle Shoretz, speak about Sharsharet and about the urgent concern in the Jewish community about breast cancer. And as a young Jewish woman, I felt compelled to get involved even as a volunteer. So I started as a volunteer. And then a couple of months later, Rochelle, who we also was called Ruchi, I mean, I'm sure some people listening know who she was. She was such an amazing woman. Um, she turned to me and said, I think Sharsharet's going to grow. At that point, Sharsharet was just a peer support network where we matched one woman with another woman. And we had these crazy, amazing matches and helped women really get to where they wanted to go because that's how Rochelle got through her breast cancer diagnosis was speaking to another young woman. So she said to me, do you, I, I can't do this by myself. Sharsharet's it's growing by leaps and bounds. We're getting so many women calling. They want more programs. They want more services. I happen to have an MBA in healthcare and strong connections in the Jewish community. I grew up in a very um, community service focused uh, family. Both my parents were involved in Jewish communal services. And um, so it was in my blood. And I also knew a lot of different people all over the country. 
so I started to work part-time and the women started calling and we started developing programs and maybe we had a thousand women back in 2002, 2003. And now fast forward, we're reaching over 250,000 people a year between support and education. So um, I started out just, you know, as a volunteer and I never left. And, you know, we, now we have 35 staff members, five offices across the country. And, you know, a lot of women are doing well, but unfortunately breast cancer and ovarian cancer are not going away. And it's, really impacting the Jewish community in significant ways. And as a Jewish community, we focus on caring for one another and saving lives. And that's what Church Arad's doing. Right. So I wanna I wanna dive in now to a couple of things that you mentioned earlier. So there are a couple of like phrases that you threw around that I quickly jotted down because I don't know what they mean or if there's something that I need to be concerned about. And as someone who does uh, own a pair of breasts, I think that I need to pay attention. So uh, you mentioned this phrase, you said increased hereditary risk. What does that mean? Is just by being Jewish and Ashkenazi, am I at an increased risk? Is there something that I need to be aware of? Okay, so first of all, you actually made a great point that you have breasts. So the number one risk for breast cancer and ovarian cancer is being a woman, being born a woman. Like it's just, it's out there, there's a risk. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. One in 72 women will be diagnosed with ovarian cancer. So one in eight is a very high statistic of women. So that's your biggest risk factor. And your risk goes up because if you are of Ashkenazi Jewish descent, so that means if you have even one grandparent who might be Jewish, you have it in your blood. One in 40 Jews, that's men and women, carries what you may have heard in the news, a BRCA, a BRCA gene mutation that significantly increases your risk for breast cancer. And since it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we'll focus on that. So if you're an average woman who um, does not have a mutation, you have a 12% chance of getting breast cancer. If you carry one of these mutations on the BRCA genes, BRCA1, BRCA2, your risk could go up as high as 75, 80% chance. It's a huge jump. Um, and so that's why when we say increased hereditary risk, these genes you inherit from your parents, from your mother and your father, very important to know that these are not only a women's issue, men are also carrying, everyone has BRCA gene. When you have a mutation for women, it increases your risk for breast cancer significantly. Um, uh, there is also some research done on Sephardic Jews and now a lot of Sephardic Jews are also marrying Ashkenazi Jews. So these mutations are getting mixed into the family. So it's really important for everyone to know their family history, both medically and Jewishly, so that you can know if there has been cancer in your family and if you have Jewish ancestor. So if you... How does that 12% risk, let's assume like someone who is Jewish Ashkenazi, but um, doesn't have the gene mutation or, or hasn't gotten tested, has no reason to think that they have that mutation. Um, how does that compare to a general population? That, 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 that risk is the same for everyone, but that's not the whole answer. First of all, there are other mutations besides BRCA, besides BRCA running in Jewish families. And we always say, like you said, not everybody's gone for testing. And we can talk about what it means to test and you know how you do it and why you do it and if you want to do it. And we know that sometimes people haven't tested yet or have some issues with it. Family history is so, so important. So as Jews, especially Ashkenazi Jews, the previous generation was more challenged because 
many grandparents and great grandparents perished in the Holocaust. So you didn't have access to their medical history. Many people's lives were cut short. Many people's lives were isolated. People didn't know what their grandparents' history was. Now, you know, as we continue the generations and we've been able to populate beyond the Holocaust, you know, and go into third and fourth generations, we do have access to grandparents born in America, great grandparents who survived the Holocaust and can speak to them and say, tell me about your cancer history. And again, the discussion and the conversation surrounding cancer over the last 20 years has emerged significantly in the Jewish community. Sharshera takes credit for some of that, bringing it the conversation, a discussion that for so long was taboo and stigma and still yet in some, when we talk about marriage and other secrets that people like to avoid discussions. Um, so we know that, but we've taken the taboo and the stigma away and women have been more open about their diagnoses. And even if not in the public forum, at least in the family. So at, when you go home to your family for a holiday for, you know, we just came out of the Jewish holidays and we look forward to maybe Thanksgiving and then Passover. Those are the times to sit down with your parents, with your grandparents, your aunts and your uncles on both your mother's side and your father's side and say, just tell me like, did grandma, did Bubby, did they have cancer? What kind of cancer? Because even if you haven't gone for genetic testing or even if you get a negative test on a certain genetic test, you still could be at increased risk because you have family history and you can do things to take care of your health, knowing that information. So information is empowering um, and it's our duty to do what we can to protect our health. I mean, that is one of the commandments in the Torah. Right. It's so interesting. I never thought of you're you're 100% right that, you know, if you have a grandparent who died in the Holocaust, then forget about the fact that you don't have the opportunity to ask them what their medical history is. They didn't have a chance to develop a medical history. You know, if you if if you're talking about someone who was like shot by Nazis in their 20s and they would have gotten cancer in their 30s or 40s, you don't even have a chance to know that that really happened, which is fascinating that I just I, I don't know, add it to the list of reasons why Nazis suck. But um, even beyond that, but even beyond that, if someone died in the Holocaust, even in their 60s or 70s and had male children, right? And you are a grandchild, you and may breast cancer and certainly ovarian cancer would not have manifested as much in the male children, but the genetic mutation is still being passed down. So that's why going back one generation is not enough because again. Breast cancer is very lower risk with men. They do get it. But you, if you have two, three men and no women in that generation, you may not realize that you're risk. But if the grandparent had some cancer and there are other cancers that I also wanted to talk about if there are male, males that are passing down. So we know that pancreatic cancer, prostate cancer, melanoma, and male breast cancer are also associated with the BRCA gene. So if you had a grandfather who had prostate cancer, or you have one now, prostate or pancreatic cancer, that's something that you need to mention to your doctor and to say, oh, you know, is it possible that I could be carrying a mutation and I might get breast cancer because my grandfather had pancreatic or prostate? Right. In terms of the male aspect of all this, we do think of breast and ovarian cancers as a woman's issue. Like you said, your number one risk factor is being a woman, having breasts and ovaries. How does, like, how concerned should the men in my life be? 
men in your life should be concerned. They also, what we found is that men, when they go to the doctor, may not realize when they fill out the family history form to mention that their sisters had breast cancer or um, a female cousin. Because on the flip side, just like if a man had prostate or pancreatic, we know it could be related to breast and ovarian cancer. If a man has a sister or a mother or a cousin with breast or ovarian cancer, he might be at increased risk for prostate and pancreatic cancer. He tells that to his doctor and she or he can guide him on surveillance and healthy life changes to reduce his risk for himself. And also, if he is having children, he can pass a mutation on to his daughters and his sons. So it's very important for men. I don't know how many men you get on your podcast, but if every woman here knows a man or is related to a man, you can share this information. This is life-saving information. Add it to the list of reasons why you need to nag your husbands to actually go to the doctor. Do it. A hundred percent. And to know their family history too. They may not be so comfortable for you to ask your mother-in-law for your children, but maybe your husband can ask and get the information that you need. Right. One, 100%. So I want to dive into this, the question of testing or not testing. So you mentioned the BRCA gene mutation, um, which like you said, it's been in the news a lot. And this is the BRCA gene. The BRCA gene is, um, is a, a gene on our genome in our DNA. Um, and it's been found, like you said, that if there is a mutation on this gene, then your in your risk for breast and ovarian cancers jumps dramatically. I believe it's a blood test, right? To find out if you have this gene mutation or not, right? It can be a blood test or a saliva test. Both are equally as accurate and it depends where you get it done. So first of all, when we talk about genetics, there is a profession out there that is so critical to the process. This is a genetic counselor and I can't emphasize this enough. If and when you consider genetic testing, speak to a genetic counselor. Sharshar has one on staff. You can call us for free. You can call us from the privacy of your home. You can call when it's convenient. Uh, this is a huge push. It's not money. I'm not looking to, you know, can make a donation too. But I, this is a free call. You don't, you can remain anonymous. You can just speak to a genetic counselor. Because when you go for genetic testing, you have to understand what the results mean um, and how to do the process. So again, like you said, it's a simple blood test or a saliva test. It doesn't hurt or anything. Um, and speaking to a genetic counselor, you understand because when, let's say people think of it like a pregnancy test, right? If you take a pregnancy test, you find out if you're pregnant or you're not, and that affects you and you make that, and you know, that's what you're going to be either pregnant or you're not. There's no yeah. in between. And it affects you and your spouse. When you have a genetic test done, it doesn't only affect you, it affects the entire family. So if you find out that you have a mutation or you don't have a mutation, you also need to call your cousins. And what about the cousins that you haven't spoken to in 20 years, but you had this very information that could save their lives? How do you have these conversations? And then how do you have these conversations with your children? These are very complicated issues and a genetic counselor can take you through it, how to understand your results because a negative may not be a true negative. You may not be uh, positive for BRCA mutation, but if your mother's had breast cancer or your aunt or your grandmother, you have to do certain things, even though you don't have a genetic mutation because your risk goes up also. There are probably thousands of genetic mutations that have yet to be identified. So if you don't have a BRCA gene mutation or one or two, maybe BRCA3, BRCA4, BRCA5, we don't know. They're coming out with new genetic mutation 
um, identifying new genetic mutations every day. And we have a list of those on our website. People may have heard PALB2 was recently in the news. There's one called CHECK2. None of them are as significant as, as BRCA and as prevalent in the Jewish community, but they're having, they definitely play a role. So it's important to understand that you're not off the hook necessarily. I mean, we all have to go annually for screenings and we can talk about what's age appropriate. And certainly if you have a family history, it, it, it takes a different turn. So I wanna put it out there. But again, I definitely emphasize going to a genetic counselor. You can speak to Sharsharitz. We can help you identify one in your community. There's a wonderful organization, the National Society for Genetic Counselors that can identify a genetic counselor for you. So is a genetic counselor a medical person, like a doctor, or it sounds more like a mental health person or somewhere in between? They have, they have, it's not a doctor. It's a math, it's a, there's a certification and a master's and there's very strong science background. So they really understand the science and they really understand also the psychosocial impact that testing has on you and your family. So they have that role where they really can explain to you the science and they can really help you have these conversations and manage the results that you get, both positive and negative. Okay, that makes sense to me. Do you think that everyone should get tested? So I think the, the right answer to that is talk to your healthcare professional. I think the more information you have, the better it is. Right now, there is no, um, no one who's saying that every single person, there's no push right now for population screening. There have been studies that focus on it that Shershar has been an advisor for on population screening. We're still seeing the statistic hold that one in 40 is carrying this mutation. And we are definitely encouraging you to go to a healthcare provider to discuss your options for testing. Someone who has a family history of cancer, but not necessarily breast and ovarian cancer, is this something that I should be concerned about that I should you know, be talking to my doctor about getting tested? So I definitely think you should speak to a genetic counselor and get, and, and I and definitely encourage you to call Sharsharat um, and speak to Peggy on our team and she can help you understand because there are also different kinds of tests. So I think, yes, if you've had cancer in your family, you should speak to a doctor because there are other tests and there are other ways that you can um, do things today, again, to protect your health beyond testing. There are healthy changes you can make in your life and also other changes and screenings and surveillance and possible medications that people go on to prevent a cancer diagnosis. So yes, I think you should have a conversation with your doctor, with a genetic counselor about your family history and what they would recommend. Do you think that any, do you think that there's ever a time when getting tested for the mutations is inappropriate? I don't, I, you know, they're recommending that people do not do before age 25. There are now, I know, younger people doing it and finding it out. I think that when you get this information, it's, 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 a hard, it's a hard to deal with it. So they pick 25 as an age when you are an adult and planning your future and when there are things you can do to prevent cancer. So giving this information to someone who is in their teens may cause anxiety um, and there's nothing they could really do at that point to address the mutation they're carrying. Uh, so I think age is definitely a factor. Um, I don't think otherwise, I think doing it 
um, as far as entertainment without having a healthcare professional is inappropriate. What do you mean um, by entertainment? Won't have- so there are at-home genetic tests available now. I don't know if you've heard of something called 23andMe. Sure. 23 yeah, I thought that was that like lets you know like, like what percentage like European Jew I am, which is 100%. But I don't need a test to tell me that. Correct. Or if you if you like, uh, I don't know, if you have Italian ancestry. Right. Um, yes. And there's entertainment purposes, but they did get authorization to also test if you carry a BRCA gene mutation. And it happens to be that with 23andMe, the mutations they're testing for are actually very relevant to the Jewish community. They are testing for the three most common mutations among, among Ashkenazi Jewish people. So it's not a terrible test for our community. If you're someone of African American descent and you take their test to check for BRCA, it's not a good test for them because they are not likely carrying many genes from Ashkenazi ancestry. So it's not a terrible test, but it's not with a healthcare professional. So we really strongly recommend that if you've done 23andMe and you have information, both positive or negative, take that information to your doctor and see if you should get tested again. Um, And there are there are some at-home tests that are more accurate and more reliable. Like we know that JScreen, which is a Jewish organization, has just started in the last few months offering testing for BRCA for BRCA. They had always done the prenatal testing, and now they are doing testing, very reliable testing for BRCA. Um, and that can be done at home with a spit test without going to get a blood test. So, um, so that's where you can get tested. Right. How does Doria Sharon factor into all this? I think that's a, like a genetic screening that a lot of Jewish people would be familiar with. So Doria Sharon is unbelievable with the number of lives they have saved as it relates to Tay-Sachs. I mean, to really, I mean, thank God it has not become a crisis. It has taken away the crisis in the Jewish community when it comes to Tay-Sachs. The challenge with Doria Sharon is that First of all, they don't test for BRCA right now. They won't test for BRCA. And for, you know, their method of testing, which works very well with arranged marriages, is when someone goes to Dory Sharm, they test for these prenatal diseases and they say to them, you, you can date each other. Two people, uh, you know, will send in their, their test, and we, but you don't know which mutations right. they have. So for us who are focused so much on genetic education um, and genetic information, it's limiting because you, they probably have identified genetic mutations on some of these people who've submitted their samples that they should know about so that they can you know, do things in their lives to know. So they don't have that information. When you do genetic testing through other organizations like JScreen um, and doing it with a doctor, you find out exactly what you are positive and negative for, and you can take action. So, you know, right. what they have done, there are limitations to their process when you're dealing with overall health um, for, and they don't test for BRCA. Right. That's so interesting because when you think of something like, well, first of all, Dari Sharm started, I don't know, a million years ago, like something like 20 years ago, a really long time ago. I think more than that. Yeah, yeah whatever. Like I said, a million years ago, I do not know a world without Dari Sharm. And I think that because 
which, and I think that that is reflected in the way that they operate, which is fine. Like you said, they've done fantastic work. And what has also happened is that they have this very singular mission of, we don't want, you know, when we have these diseases like Tay-Sachs that we know you need to both be carriers for, we can eliminate those by testing. And because we have this really, like you said, formalized, arranged, shidduch process, whatever you want to call it, then that we can, we can get rid of this. Like we can just make this something that you ask about, you know, about the family or whatever, and check that out. And and that is reflected in the fact that they don't reveal the information, which I never thought about that, you know, how that relates to the individual in that kind of way. I want to rewind a little bit and, um, and talk about getting results. Um, I know that you're not a genetic counselor, but let's say theoretically, um, you know, you had mentioned lifestyle changes or just getting a negative is not really a negative. So let's, let's play through two scenarios. Someone decides to get tested and they come back that they are, you know, even though they're first cousin and grandmother or whoever, I don't know, I'm making this up, had, um, had breast cancer, they themselves do not have the, the BRCA mutation. Are they scot-free? Right. So, uh, so a couple of things are going on. When you have a close family member, like a mother or a sibling who's had breast cancer, you need to start your breast cancer surveillance 10 years before their diagnosis. So for example, if according to the American Cancer Society, a woman begins mammograms at 40, if she had a mother who was diagnosed at 40 with breast cancer, she might start her mammograms at 30. Mammogram is still the gold standard for screening for breast cancer for women 40 and older. Um, if you have a family history, and even if you've tested negative for a BRCA gene and you go for testing earlier, your doctor will work with you, a radiologist, will decide if you should have a mammogram and also an ultrasound because younger women tend to have something what we call dense breasts. You can't look at someone's breast and know if they're dense, whether they're big or small. That's not really what the definition is. It means that dense breasts are hard to find cancers in a mammogram because if you've ever seen a mammogram, you're looking at white spots on a black background, but with very dense breasts, there's a lot of white. So they also encourage people to look into sonograms and MRIs. So that's why the family history piece is so important because if you've had a close relative, you need to really go to the doctor 10 years before they were diagnosed. So if they were diagnosed at 30, you need to think about it in your early 20s of what to do. Maybe mammogram for a 20 year old is not appropriate, but physical exams, ultrasounds, MRIs, all these things might be an option. So that's really important. Go 10 years prior to their diagnosis. Okay. And then playing out kind of the other side of this equation, um, for whatever reason, a person decides to get tested and it comes back that they have this gene mutation. Then they freak out. Then they take a deep breath. And then what happens? Well, then they call Sharshara. Well, they probably called before they did the testing, but let's probably. Um, no. So first of all, don't freak out. We have hundreds of women who reach out to Sharshara because they've gone for testing and they come out positive and they don't know what to do next. They want to understand their options. So first of all, we say, don't go on the internet. There is so much information there. Do not call us, call us, call us, call us. Call General us. life rule, everybody. Don't go on the internet. Do not. <laughs> you cannot. There's, it's, there's tons of great stuff on there, but someone has to channel it for you and we can do that. Um, and there are things that you can do and it depends on your age, right? So there are 
many different options. First of all, we definitely encourage healthy living, regardless of genetic testing. I mean, I'll put it out there right now. There is definitely association with reducing your risk for cancer by achieving and maintaining a healthy weight, regular exercise, reducing alcohol, um, and eating a healthier, vet, more vegetables, a rainbow in your diet. So I'm just putting it out there. That's for everybody, wherever you are, whatever age you are, those things are really critical. If you find out you have a genetic mutation, yes, you call and speak to Sher Sherrod. And you also consider options or things you can do. So there is something called prophylactic surgery where women can actually, without having cancer, have a mastectomy, which is a very invasive surgery, remove your breasts. And if you've already finished having children, you could consider an oophorectomy where they take out your ovaries and your fallopian tubes to prevent an ovarian cancer diagnosis. This is what Angelina Jolie did a couple of years ago, yes. right? Okay. Yes, he did. And the truth is there's no good, there is no mammogram for ovarian cancer. Um, and generally ovarian cancer is caught in later stages because it doesn't really have such easily identifiable um, symptoms. They are bloating and urination, pain during intercourse um, and backache, and people don't know that. So, so you, the one option is once you find out you're positive, and again, you speak to your doctor about this, about doing prophylactic surgery. Now, younger women who have not yet had children may not be ready for that. So they want to talk to their doctor about extra surveillance and what they can do at that point. And then there are others that also, there are medications that you can go on also to help prevent cancer. So you talk to your doctor, but you can also speak to Sharsharit and speak to other younger women who are also facing this genetic mutation conflict and speak to women who've chosen to do one of those or two of those three and when they did it and why they did it and what their life was like doing that. And it can be really helpful. So you don't feel like uh, all my friends tested, I'm the only one who came out positive, what do I do? You will join a community of women who are dealing with this, who are grappling with it and then are surviving and thriving. Yeah, I can imagine how important that like that piece of of all of this is with the way that you know if, if someone's listening to this now and there are many people listening to this now um who I'm gonna presume are mostly if not all women what is something that I can do you know pause pause the podcast right now and do something right now to take more control of my health, be more aware of my risk. What are, what is something that you think everyone should be doing um, at least, I don't know, once in their life or, or at one point to minimize their risk for breast and ovarian cancers to get themselves checked? Like what is something that we should all be doing regardless of our family history, regardless of, um, you know, what we, you know, uh, whether or not we're getting tested or not tested or anything like that, what should we all know and be aware of? Okay. The number one thing is if you are 40, and especially coming out of COVID, so many people delayed their appointments. You need to call your doctor and you need to go for that mammogram. Do not delay. The offices are safe. They understand how to make it safe. People are not getting COVID from these doctor's offices. It's really critical if you've pushed off your mammogram a year, two years, you're turning 40, go for your mammogram, make your appointment, after we finish this, get off the podcast, make your phone call. That's really the number one thing. Um, 
if you if you are in treatment for breast cancer and have pushed it off, go to your doctor, continue your treatment. COVID-19, like I think the two biggest things trending in breast cancer right now is COVID and cancer and genetic testing. So that's the first thing. I mean, we talked a little bit again about these healthy behaviors. I can't emphasize it enough. I mean, I know it's the hardest thing, but getting and maintaining a healthy weight is really important. Exercising a few times a week is really important. Um, knowing your breasts, right? Like at the end of the day, all the testing in the world, we still know and there's still a question, the jury's still out about official breast self-exams, but everyone agrees, know what your body feels like. If you look in the mirror and you see that your nipple is inverted or you see redness, or even if you're nursing and you keep having redness and you want to make sure that it's not a blocked milk dot or you're not that you don't have a rash, you should go to the doctor because sometimes that could be a sign of breast cancer. So know what your breasts look like, take a look in the mirror, see what they look like. And, you know, very often if those, if there are women here who go to the mikvah, to the ritual bath every month, it's a good reminder, just feel your breasts. There's no exact signs how to do it. Just feel it. If anything feels different or looks different, mention it to your doctor. Don't wait. Even if you're young, you know, you're probably okay. Look, one out of eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer. Seven out of eight will not be diagnosed with breast cancer. But at the end of the day, you know your body better than anyone else. And women rarely take time for themselves. It's always about everyone else. This has to be about you. You are the one. So feel your breasts. Look at them in the mirror. We also have, and Sharshart, we can send you what different changes, but inverted nipples, uh, discharge from your nipple, redness around it can all be indications of just a rash or something, but it can also be indication of possible breast cancer. This is not meant to scare anybody. It's to empower you to take control of your health as much as you can. Okay. So those are your three things, everyone. You're scheduling your mammogram. If you are number two, if you are uh, someone who is currently dealing with breast cancer, you are not pushing off your treatments. And number three, we're all getting to know our breasts. You're going to Find yourself a quiet moment, go into the bathroom, take your shirt off and become familiar with your girls because that might just save look your life. Look at them, really look at them. What they look like now, they look great, right? And if there's any change, just mention, it could be a sliver of a line or something that you didn't notice before. Um, but also for women who are on who might be under 40, uh, you're not off the hook either. What you need to do is you should be going for an annual exam with your gynecologist. Or if you are pregnant and you're going to the OB, have them do a physical exam. Let a medical professional feel your breasts at your appointments. And that's also important. And speak to them about what is proper surveillance for you. You know, under 40 doesn't mean you don't have to, you should also be looking in the mirror. You should also be feeling your breasts and knowing your body. A pap smear checks for ovarian cancer, right? No, pap smear checks for cervical cancer. Oh, okay. Ovarian cancer does not have a screening modality. So if someone is at risk for ovarian cancer, they do do some types of um, screenings. But again, it's not great. There, there really is nothing. You just talk to your doctors about what they can do, pelvic exams and looking for symptoms and genetic testing. But there is no, and there's tons of money being pumped into it. And we hope that, you know, my biggest wish is that tomorrow we find out that there is a screening modality for ovarian. Uh, but there is a question of even where ovarian emanates. Is it in the fallopian tubes? Or So they are now taking out, if they're doing surgeries, 
for prophylactic to prevent ovarian, they're taking out the fallopian tubes and the ovaries. And for younger women, there's procedures now where they may not take out even the ovaries and just the fallopian tubes so women can still ovulate and not go into menopause early. How do, if you're, if you're ovulating, but you don't have the fallopian tubes, then like, how does it get from ovary to uterus? Like, do they put something so artificial? You, you, you'll still, you will still have ovaries to make sure that you have the estrogen. So you don't deal with other issues like menopause. But, oh, okay. Um, but you wouldn't be able to like get pregnant. Right. So, but we taught, but there are ways to get pregnant and, and that brings you to a whole other discussion um, is that we have women who find out they're young, that they're BRCA positive and they haven't had children yet, and they are going to have children and they want to cut off the mutation from their family. So through IVF and, um, and again, I encourage everyone to speak to their um, Jewish law, spiritual leader, you know, whoever they go to for halacha um, and Jewish law questions. Um, there are women who are choosing through IVF to implant those embryos that do not have the genetic mutation so that in essence, it will not be passed down to the next generation. Right. This was actually a conversation that I had with Dr. Sahar Wertheimer. She came on and spoke about um, her experience with halachic abortion. She had a, a fetus that had a severe neural tube deficiency and she did terminate that pregnancy at, I believe it was 16 weeks. I don't remember exactly. Um, and one of the things that she brought up, she happens to also be an REI, a reproductive endocrinologist, more commonly known as a fertility specialist. And one of the things that she mentioned was that her concern was whether this was something that was just a piece of bad luck, um, you know, that this just happened to, you know, they, this is just what happened with her and her husband, or whether it was something that there was a genetic component to. And she said that she would have preferred for there to have been a genetic component because then through IVF, you can kind of filter out the embryos that have that problem. Um, and in her case, it was just bad luck. So it was, you know, it made future pregnancies a little more nerve wracking. So yeah, that's, that's an interesting. Called, what we're talking about is called PGT, like pre-implantation genetic testing. Um, look, it doesn't always work. You can create embryos and all of them could have the genetic mutation and you want to have children. And our hope is that with all the research one day, maybe they can do something so you don't have to do surgery to prevent cancer. So there's a lot of research, a lot of information focused on breast cancer. Um, and, you know, women are doing well and women are more knowledgeable than ever. And we have the resources and the support to help them manage whatever route they want to take. Uh, but it's important for everyone to know that, that the information is there and that Sharsharat is the place to turn to to really filter it all out for you. Right. I want to pivot just slightly for a couple of minutes because we are running out of time here. And that is if um, if there is someone who um, if, who does know someone who has been diagnosed with breast cancer, um, you know, in your experience with supporting women who are go who are dealing with breast and ovarian cancers, what are some of the things that, um, you know, the outsiders looking in can do to better support those dealing with what is, I'm sure, a life changing diagnosis and everything that comes along with it? Right. So the first thing we say is become a good listener, right? Let the person who's going through cancer or dealing with a genetic mutation tell you what she wants. Let her be the lead. You know, I think that you have to hear where they are. Do they want to talk about it or do they want to talk about other things going on in their lives? Let them tell you this bothers me when we talk about it or this helps me when we talk about it. I don't want to talk about it or I want to talk about it. Um, 
Also offer to help, but don't offer and just say, call me whenever you need me. Think of something specific. If you have kids the same age, say, I'm doing carpool tomorrow. I know you have that doctor's appointment. Don't worry about it. Or I'm going to the supermarket or I'm ordering from this special delivery. I'll make sure that you get it. Try to give specific ways that you can be helpful. And then they might say, I don't want that, but they would be more comfortable they uh, doing something else. Check on them as often as they want. When you text them or you email them, don't say, how are you doing? And expect an update. Say things like sending hugs your way, thinking of you. It opens up the door. They may not answer you. Don't be insulted if they don't answer you. They might be overwhelmed. But those are the kind of messages they want. They don't want to tell their story 100 times. Um, the other thing is to offer, if there's someone who's going through chemotherapy and has to go to an appointment, if the hospitals are letting people come in, there was a while they went, go and sit with them, bring them activities to do. Um, Keep their kids busy. I think a lot of moms who are going through breast cancer, they're either going to the doctor, they're resting afterwards. I mean, we have a program called the Busy Box where we send toys and games to keep kids busy while mom is at the doctor or resting. So offer to do things for the kids. Meals seem to be also very much appreciated. We encourage people to set up WhatsApp groups when WhatsApp's not down um, <laughs> to arrange meals without including the person. Say like, tell me, you know, the next three weeks you're going to be busy. Don't worry about it. We have dinner taken care of and don't, and just make sure then set up a friend's group so they don't have to. Um, they're like little gifts that people really appreciate. I know I have a friend now who's going through chemo and she has terrible hot flashes. She walks around with a with a fan around her neck. And it's like, that's a great gift to get to someone. So you can close our show and we can give gifts. But at the end of the day, um, it's not about you, it's about them. Don't get insulted, be a good listener. I mean, and certainly those who are living with later stage cancer sometimes just want you to pray for them. And Sharshar has guidelines on how to set up a Tehillim, a group that recites Psalms um, to really make it meaningful for the community. Because sometimes they have it together, but you as a, friend or loved one want to do something, you know, there's a lot of power in prayer um, and it gives you something to do and to do with others who care about the same person. Okay. So there, so there you have it. There's, there's been so much that we've covered and so much, there's, there's a lot to think about from this, this whole conversation. Um, and, and my hope it is, is that if you are listening to this and you're thinking, okay, I think I need to make a phone call. I think I need to schedule that mammogram or, you know, have a call with, with Sharshar and speak with a genetic counselor, please do it. Um, at the very least, it might save your life. Um, at the, and not even at the very least, at the most extreme, it might save your life. And at the very least, um, you will have more information that could help your your family, your sisters, your mother, your your children. And, um, and it is something that I do encourage everyone to, you know, just take, take the time. You are worth one phone call. You are, so you are worth much more than that, but certainly at least one phone call. Um, you are definitely worth. Thank you so much, um, Alana, for, for coming on and for sharing all this wonderful information. If somebody wants to learn more about you or about Sharsharet, where can they go? So we are wherever you are. That's what we want to say. We are, you know, uh, we were the, the original group that did remote you know, before COVID. Everything is available by phone, email, uh, web. So you can reach us online at sharsharet.org or you can call us toll-free at 866-474-2774. I think it's 1-866-GO-SHARSH. 
Um, I think the other thing you can do is if you're a social media person, you can go on Instagram. We are Sharsharet official because there are a lot of Sharsharet groups out there. We have a lot of college campuses that have programs, but we're Sharsharet official on Instagram. Sharsharet it one on Facebook. We get Facebook messages. We get Instagram direct messages. Um, you can find us on LinkedIn, but really info at sharsharet.org. But and all of our counselors, social workers, genetic counselor, our educators, you can just click on their names and there's emails. So email, phone calls, whatever is easy. Everything is confidential. Everything is convenient. We have really long hours because we're on New York time and LA time. We have callers from all over and everything is brought to you. You don't have to leave your house. You don't have to leave your office. You don't have to leave your car. You can reach us. Okay. And that's all super free. Everything is free. Very important information as well. Um, If somebody does want to donate, where can they do that? Again, sharsharet.org. We definitely would. These are hard times. We would definitely appreciate support. We also can make it very meaningful. You can make gifts in honor or in memory of a loved one. We have ways that you could donate and send something to someone who's going through cancer now and they get information about Sharsharet. It comes from you, but they learn about Sharsharet. And ultimately, they'll call and get support, even if they have not yet made the first call. The first call might be hard for someone, but if they get something from you that has Sharsharet on it, they may be more inclined to go. And that's a really great way to help your friend. There's only so much you could do. And then it's good to say, you know what, I'm going to also recommend you call Sharsharit. And we work together with the families to help them and get to a better place. There's a lot that we can do as friends, but it does get to a certain point where we got to hand things off to the professionals. That's, that's, it's good to keep the pressure off. And that's what we do when we're eager to do more. That's, that's fantastic. The last thing that I want to ask you, Alana, is what I ask everyone who comes on the show. And that is to you, Alana Silver, what does it mean to make an impact? I can make someone have hope for a better future than we've made impact. And that's what we provide hope and optimism for a better future. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Alana. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Alana and Sharsharet, her links are in the show notes. You'll also find the direct link to pre-order the Ready Topper there. If that link still works, you can still pre-order. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of Impact Fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 12 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant-parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.